This week's episode is sponsored by Baytul Mal. Baytul Mal provides life-saving, life-sustaining, and life-enriching humanitarian aid to underserved populations around the world, regardless of faith or nationality. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Remastered Podcast. I'm your host, Mohammed Kibria, and today I have Ammar al-Shukri, mashallah. He's very well known in the Al-Maghrib Institute as an instructor. You are a Texan, right? Um, I'm so- I live in Texas, yes. <laughs> so you're in New York, I live in Texas. It's a too tough. It's a too tough state. So it's all good, right? Um, so today we're going to talk about companionship, right? the righteous companionship, and um, you know it's a, it's a very interesting topic. So first, I want to ask you, who is a like? So, so talk to us about your companionship. Tell me about like two best friends you have that you always depend on. Who are those? What they look like? And um, what, what was your experience with also a companionship that? wasn't helpful um so alhamdulillah as far as companionship that i've had that has been very beneficial i always tell people stories about uh when i was in high school because i really believe that the the friendships that i made in high school really altered like my life It, it very much changed my life and really in high school was when I started getting presented to, to attractive, powerful uh, Muslims. And it was something that for me as a young man uh, living in Queens, New York, I was very much, I mean, you were very much attracted to strength. And I think that's something that a lot of young people resonate with, especially young, young men. And so two people, I would probably say, well, there's three people, but one I'll just, I'll leave to the side. But um, two were, uh, one was uh, a young Hafiz named Hassan. And he was the first person that I met who had actually memorized the Quran. I'm Sudanese. We're not very, we don't have a culture of health, at least not in the United States. And so he was the first one that I met. He had actually memorized the Quran in Trinidad. And that wow. was like, just really, apparently Trinidad has this huge uh, Quranic, uh, madrasa school and so he was a Sudani kid who had memorized the Quran in Trinidad and when he came back um, you know he would he would lead salah in the community and things like that and so and he was great at basketball and like you know he was just a very cool kid mashallah and that was my first time like actually seeing Muslim kids who were actually cool and then uh, there was also another friend of mine uh, Muhyiddin who was just like a, a, a young Umar ibn Khattab type character, very strong, very powerful in his Islam, very outspoken in his Islam, and so and very and physically very strong. And so he was the first person that I interacted with who would would speak Islamic concepts, but he would do so believing in it powerfully to kids who thought that this type of stuff was corny. And so I remember him saying things like, you know. Inshallah, I'm going to, we're like 14, 15 at the time. He might've been 16 or 17 and him telling us, you know, inshallah, when I'm going to get married at 25, when the Prophet got married and, you know, I am a virgin and he would say these things, you know, like you're 14 years old. These were things that were, you know, kind of, you know, they're embarrassing broader cultures that these are things that are embarrassing about you. You don't share that type of stuff, but for him, he was so powerful in his Islamic identity and powerful in his physical presence that he could say these types of things, 
And everybody would be like, yeah, you, you're right, bro. You're right. <laughs> and so like seeing someone speak Islam so powerfully was, was very, uh, you know, it was definitely altering for me. Yeah. So, wow. That's interesting. I, I think uh, that's powerful. Somebody to say, Hey, I'm not a virgin at age 14 and really be proud of that and really standing. That I am a virgin. Yeah. Right. I'm sorry. I, I'm a virgin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay we're gonna cut this part rails, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so so no that's that's pretty uh that's pretty awesome the fact that somebody's really i mean i don't know if like i mean this is like complete opposite culture here right where kids are bragging like that i lost my virginity versus like hey and i think that that's a good you know it's like owning your dean right that's like being really confident and look not everybody is kind of lucky to say I would say to have that kind of friends or even having that kind of friends is almost like a strange or maybe weird because they dress different right I mean think about uh think about you know I, I remember when on Tabliki Jamaat would come in everybody just like run right because you see the outfit you see it from far because you know hanging so so making good decisions about friends sometimes you don't have that choice right sometimes you're not uh, blessed with a good friendship and companionship and there are challenges and mm-hmm. how do you, how do you go about that? What would you advise people to say, you know what, you, you, sometimes you're going to feel lonely. It's better than having maybe perhaps friends, right? Who yeah, are that's, that's Abu Bakr's statement. Abu Bakr says it's better to be alone than to have bad company. And so a person really just valuing their deen. When it comes to people saying, um, you know, maybe I, I don't have the right friends. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the verse that we read in Surah Al-Kahf, Allah says, وَاصْبِرْ نَفْسَكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ دُعُنَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِي and endure sabr. He says sabr. Have sabr with the company of those who call upon their Lord in the morning and the evening seeking his face. The Prophet's companions in Mecca weren't necessarily the coolest people. Like Abdullah ibn Mas'ud isn't like, you know, the guy with the blue check mark in, in Mecca at that time. Uh, Bilal ibn Rabah is a slave. These are people who are considered undesirables. And a person may go to school. And the Muslims might very well be the losers, right? They're the skinny kids, unathletic, uncool, what have you. You know what I mean? You go to the MSA halaqa and you get this complaint a lot. People going to the MSA halaqa and saying, you know, I'm, I'm too cool for these kids. What does Rasulullah is very much cool. I mean, he's from Banu Hashid. He could have avoided them and he could have been very desirable amongst the mushrikeen. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands him and he says, endure their company, endure the company of Bilal and Ammar ibn Yasir and all of these individuals, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, endure their company and do not let your eyes go beyond them. You want the adornments of this world. Yes, if you befriend all of these, you know, the who's who and the popular kids and all of that, yeah. that's the adornment of this world. But what will that happen? To, what will happen to you? What will happen to your soul? by being in their company constantly. And do not follow those who we've made their hearts heedless of our remembrance. And they follow their desires. They're into drugs and they're into partying and they're into whatever it is that they're into. Uh, and so this is a beautiful verse that I really think that people, when they're looking for friendship, it's something to constantly remind yourself of that. You know what? I'm going to endure the company of the believers. I'm going to endure the company of those who believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and say, la ilaha illallah, no matter how cool they are, no matter even if our personalities are super attracted to each other or not, I'm going to endure their company as an act of worship. 
Wow. You know, that could be really tough for a lot of young professionals or even, you know, when you live in a community, you see that, of course, like you're mentioning, like the religious kids may not be famous. They might not look as, uh, you know, uh, attractive to hang out perhaps, right? But then, the, and then, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's tough. But let me ask you a controversial, maybe it is a controversial question. I don't know. Like I'm going to ask is that, you know, can, can you be friends? Can you have a friendship with an opposite gender and, and, and seek that support? Like, is that like, you know, think about how many, I mean, let's, let's be real. There are high schoolers okay. right now ch chatting with one another on a Snapchat, on TikTok. It's happening. The communication is taking place, right? Uh, there are, they're, they're hanging out there. You know, there are certain lines passed, of course, depending on the individuals. Can you authentically say that, if, you know, you can be friends or you can have a companionship with an opposite gender? So to have uh, friends with the opposite gender, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says about zina, he says, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا الزِّنَا إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَاهِشَةً وَسَأَسِبِيلًا He says that it is, he says, do not come near zina. It is an evil path. Now, you're like, I'm talking to you about friends and you're talking to me about zina. You kind of escalated it very quickly. Yeah. Well, Islam, when Islam prohibited zina, what it did was it prohibited all of the means that lead to it because it is something that is so unique and it is so powerful and it has such a gravitational force that, you know what, if you imagine zina as like a planet, it's got your, its orbit and all of these, you know, um, these layers around it where if you enter into its orbit and that entering into its orbit becomes everything that the Prophet ﷺ prohibited everything from the touching of the hand to the being in seclusion with a person. And uh, these are things that develop very, very quickly and many times unbeknownst to the person. And so better than putting yourself in a position where you may be regretful in the future is for a person to avoid those friendships that may cause attachment, but I'm not attracted to them. I, I, I just see them as particularly a friend. Well, how many times in your life have you seen people start off in friends uh, at the beginning of the year and by the end of the year they're dating? Or how many times have you seen that on TV? And how many times have you seen that in real life around you? And so what that shows us is that there's a, there is the possibility of a relationship to be kindled. And the only way that a person can guarantee themselves to not uh, be sucked in by the gravitational uh, pull of Zina is that they don't put themselves in its orbit in the first place. That doesn't mean that you can't be respectful. That doesn't mean that you can't interact with people. You can interact with yeah. people. You can be respectful, but friendships, no. And, um, you know, you keep your relationships purely business. Mm, that's interesting. Um, you know, so for the audiences, like, you know, a lot, I was doing this uh, guided discussion with some of the young people. And I asked this question, can you you know, can you be friends with an opposite uh, gender and whatnot? And I, I presented this, uh, you know, of course, everybody knows Steve Harvey. He has a very strict policy about he does not, he doesn't make any, uh, any, any females as his friends. He doesn't, you know, he thinks that's, that's, that's not, I mean, I mean here's somebody from an outside of community has this strong stance on it. Right. And a lot of people, of course, in community and society would make fun of him and whatnot. So, so like, so let me it's just critical the other though, because those same people, after they get married, what happens to all of those female friends? Do they uh, keep all of those female friends after they get married? If they were, if they were as innocent as you would imagine, then after yeah. a guy gets married, he would keep all of those female friends. And a woman, after she gets married, she would keep all of her male friends. But what happens after they get married? Well, 
I mean, half the, uh, I mean, you know, some people think they're completely half the faith and they disappear from the community. <laughs> I don't know. After all, all of those, all of, right. That person who's arguing and saying all of my male friends, I've got 20 guys, they're all friends. And then she gets married. And then all of a sudden, like, like in reality, in reality, uh, it, it's something that people know. It's something that they know that this is a, ah. this is a potential danger. And as such, they demand from their spouses or it's expected from their spouses that it be cut off. Interesting. Okay, so let me go on the other side. Can a practicing friend can take misguide you? Can, can like can a righteous person on a right track can also misguide you? Is that is that something that can happen as a, you know choosing friends? Because again, you know, let's say you're hanging out with a religious crowd, right? And 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 there are certain because look in our community, let's be real. There's so many different perspective of our deen is being practiced in our community, right? Some people take it to the extreme. Some people take it to the light. Some, there's so many variations to it. And, you know, if I'm just making, trying to make good, righteous friends and I end up with somebody who is, I don't know, you know, but you're, I don't, do you see what I'm saying though? Like, can, can that really also have an impact on my uh, companionship and my own? I mean, anything that, anything that's done in an extreme could be, it will be detrimental to a person. But when we say righteous friends, we mean righteous friends, people upon the sunnah of the Prophet that person who will remind you of Allah, that person who will, who will remind you to pray, that person who when you're in their company, you do things that are good and righteous and you avoid that which is haram because in their company, you don't do these types of things. These types of people are of the greatest blessings in this world that you be in the company of those who are righteous. Imam Shafi said, I love the righteous, though I am not from them. Perhaps I will receive through them intercession. And hence, Ali ibn Abi Talib, anhu, he said, befriend the righteous as much as you can, because every believer will have an intercession on the day of judgment. If I have a thousand righteous friends, that's a thousand people on the day of judgment who will say, hey, where's Ammar? Oh Allah, can you enter him into paradise, right? A thousand people who potentially can intercede for you. And so having righteous friends is, all, is, is one of the great goodnesses in this world. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, did you ever regret any friendship? Um, do I regret any friendship? I mean, I'm sure I might have regretted something at some point in time, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But there is, of course, there are friendships that a person will regret for sure. And those are friendships that a person, you know, whether haram was incurred through them or they were ill friends or they were people who who you know you together were misguided or what have you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says on the day where a person will bite onto their entire hands I wish that I took a path with the messenger that person on the day of general will say I wish that I didn't take so and so as a khalil, as an intimate close friend, your BFF, your ride or die. If that person was someone who, you know, you committed all sorts of haram with and, and, and this person was someone who you missed salat with and this person was someone who together or led you away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that person will be a source of incredible regret for you on the day of judgment. And that person will say, I wish that I never took so-and-so as a friend. And so any person who a person has spent time with or any person who a person has um, you know, has cause for them to be distanced with on the day of judgment, that will be a, a, a cause of incredible regret. Yeah. And, and I, I look, I think friendship is very crucial. Like, you know, as a parent, I have seven year old and I'm reading books and contents that I'm trying to improve in my parenting skills. And I, one thing that, you know, was said is so powerful. If there's one blessing you can do for your child is give him a good companionship and give, give him a good friends. 
And that's not something that, you know, I'm going to customize and design for myself. Like, you know, the whole reason I, I intentionally moved, literally, I made a hijra because I saw this long-term goal of really, you know, and I don't know what's going to happen. Allah, Allah, you plan, Allah is the best planner of, you know, planning my, to, to raise our, my kids around the friends that I have had and their kids would be on the same because I'll trust that my friends will be have the same parenting mentality that, that you know, the practicing mindset, because that's important, right? So I think friendship is very crucial. Even the Prophet said, there's a hadith about it, right? Where it says, you know, isn't there like, bring me your friends and I'll show you what your deen is. Is that? Uh, yeah, person will be on the religion of their friend so let one of you be very aware as to who they take as an intimate friend you will follow them and so um absolutely right and you're not the first or the last parent to make that sacrifice and it is incredible sacrifice and may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it as you wish and better than what you expected inshallah i had uh there was a a friend of mine who's a youth director and uh you know, one time I asked him, I said, why are, you, why are you a youth director? What made you do that? And he said to me, he said, you know, I hope that I will always have my daughter's ear. I hope that she'll always be listening to me. But I do recognize that there were there are times in a person's life and in a lot of kids' lives where they're not really interested in listening to their parents and their parents are no longer the most influential person in their life. They transition at 11 or 12 or 13 years old to their friends being more influential in what their values are. And so he said, I made this conscious decision to be a youth director for my community so that I could influence the future friends of my daughter so that, inshallah, in doing so, yeah. you know, my daughter will have friends who will remind her of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and be a source of goodness for her. So I was like, man, that's like a chess move. You know, that's like, <laughs> that's really, I mean, he's sacrificing a lot for his daughter but all of this is because of the importance of friendships friendships are incredibly important yeah and i think you know one thing in our in our tradition that we learn when we say that community and that support system is so crucial because you know of course you know it's like that thing right so your family will constantly tell you the same you know a statement or they'll say okay this is the fact and you're like okay whatever somebody completely from an outside comes in and says the same thing it's almost like a revelation yep because you heard it from a different voice you heard it from a different outlet right but it's, it's like the same thing i'm sure everybody went through this experience no doubt about it and i think this is where friends are really powerful they, they you know and of course friends you know you can have somebody you know on the right track and just that one decision from your friendship that one decision and the one activity that you guys do together can really destroy you or make you there are a lot of people in prison because of a moment uh, with a friend. They went somewhere with a friend. The friend took them somewhere, what have you. A lot of people, you know, have gone through incredible pain um, because of the friendships that they made. And so, and the greatest remorse, again, is on the day of judgment. And so, you know, to that point about your friends and, and the way that you look at your parents. I remember when I was 14 years old, my English teacher, he had a... a you know, he had a lot of posters on his wall, but one of the posters in the classroom was a quote from Mark Twain. And Mark Twain said, when I was 14, my father was so ignorant, I could barely stand to have the old man around. When I became 21, I was amazed at how much he had learned in seven years. And so 14 years old, he thinks his dad doesn't know anything. And then at 21, he's amazed at how much his father had learned. Really, he's the one who changed and he's the one who matured. 
to where he recognizes his father's truth and his father's experience and his father's wisdom. But you have to go through that, or at least some kids have to go through that. And you hope, inshallah ta'ala, that there is a group of, of friends around and a community around them that will be able to protect them and guide them while they go through what they need to go through. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, that's really powerful, subhanAllah. But like, how do we have a, like a tough conversation with friends that we know are going the wrong track, right? Because like, for example, I, I, you know, there are things that you see in the community, like, and this culture, you know, in American culture, it's like, none, it's none of your business. You do you, i uh, do me, right? It's that culture that a lot of young people carry that, hey, I'm not going to like snitch on you. I'm not going to judge you. Do what you got to do. Even though it's clearly your friend is committed to dinner, your friend is smoking weed, right? Or, you know, th- there are things that are happening and you're just like, oh, I'm just going to stay away because again, it's the cultural uh, pressure that comes in. But how do I, you know, how can one person have a, this tough conversation saying, listen, because I'm your friend, I want you to know this because then you become the haram police, right? There's the, the whole haram police statement comes in the community because when you tell somebody, you know, of course, depending on the way you approach it, but how do you have a tough conversation with a good friend that you know is going the wrong track and going the dangerous path? And do you no. save yourself? Do you save them? Like how far do you go say, you know what, this is, this is my limit? Yeah, so just to answer your limit question, you save them it's it's the example of of the person who's who has a friend drowning in a pool if you're a good swimmer then you jump in and you save them if you're going to drown yourself then you're just going to lose yourself as well so what you do is if this is a person if i have a friend of mine who when i'm in their company i am the one who's saving them i'm the one who says let's pray and they make wudu and they pray and I'm the one who says there's no smoking in my car. They're not going to smoke. If, if that's the type of relationship that I have with them, then absolutely. You being in their life is a benefit for you and it's a benefit for them. But if you are the type of friend who, when you go and hang out with them, you're too shy to say, let's pray. So you don't even end up praying and they don't end up praying and they start smoking weed and you start smoking with them right? That's a person who you should avoid because you're not benefiting them and you're harming yourself. Okay. Um, number two, and if it's a group that's even more challenging, unless again, you're that type of personality who can manipulate the entire group, then wonderful. Um, and then when it comes to the issue of, um, you know, haram police, I don't believe the haram police has gone anywhere. I believe the haram police has only gotten louder, but the, unfortunately, very unfortunately, the haram police have changed their rule book. So where the haram police of 10, 15, 20 years ago were actually, you know, their guidelines for what was appropriate and inappropriate behavior, speech, action was the Quran and the sin of the Prophet and what they understood from it, at least. The haram police of today, their book is liberal secular norms. And so if you say something that is considered to be racist, then watch how violently and aggressively the community comes against you. Or if you say something that is considered to be um, anti whatever, then watch how the community comes against you as, uh, you know, uh, as, as viciously as you can imagine. And we see this play out on social media every single week. And so it's not so much that the limits of Allah have been crossed, but it's that the limits of liberalism have been crossed. Right. And so I just say this so that we understand that the haram police are not, you know, the people who say this is haram Islamically, they're not the worst people in the world. There are people who do this, you know, every single day in a much more aggressive fashion. But that being said, we should have a culture of 
whoever of you sees an evil, then let them change it with their hand. And whoever, if you, uh, and if you can't, then let them change it with their speech. And if they can't, then let them change it with their heart. And that is the lowest level of Iman. That's the hadith of the Prophet reported by a Muslim. It is one of the great hadith of Islam. And um, that being said, the point here is that you may have to change up your toolbox, the, the tools in your tool chest, depending on who that person is. So I don't, spoke to, I don't speak to Kibriya like I speak to my younger brother. I don't speak mm-hmm. to my younger brother like I speak to you know, my younger sister. I don't speak to any, like everybody requires, mm-hmm. they're their own, they are their own person. They're going to require their own approach, every single person. It depends on who I am to them. If, if it's one of my students, it's not like I'm speaking to one of my teachers. If it's somebody who I don't know online, or I don't know, right? And it's just some random person online, then I might have a different approach to them altogether. So the, I think one of the problems with people is that they approach it all using the same hammer. And to somebody with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So they're just swinging left and right with the same approach. No, everybody's approach is different. Um, and then number two, I think very, very importantly, there are guidelines to advising. And a person should know what the guidelines of advising are. Some of it is sincerity, of course. And number two is kindness and gentleness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Musa and Harun to Fir'aun. And he says, He sent Musa and Harun, who's better than anybody alive right now. And he sent them to Fir'aun, who's worse than, he's one of the greatest tyrants in human history. And he tells them, say to him speech that is gentle and uh yeah, gentle speech. Perhaps he will remember or perhaps he will fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so gentleness is something that is very, very beautiful. And when you approach people with that, inshallah ta'ala, your results will be better. And I think that's in, like that's a very uh, important uh, concept you just mentioned. Like, you know, how they have, we were talking about yesterday in our previous podcast session where love language, like, you know, I would say this is like a deen language, right? Everybody has a deen language, the way they are approached. So like, for example, Prophet never approached, uh, you know, every companion in the same way. He, he had a custom way of approaching them based on their level of faith, based on their under, based on how much he knew them. That relationship was there for him to say, okay, this is what you need. This is what you, the other person needs. And there are examples in hadiths in our traditions, right? Um, I, I guess this is where we're talking about emotional intelligence. And of course, when it comes to friendship, you know, I think that's, you know, having that tough conversations is important. Like if I have a friends right now and I need to look, look through my fence list, okay, are they righteous? And do they remind me of God? Do they bring me closer to Allah SWT as the end goal? That's, that's everything and anything. If it's not bringing you closer to God, I think you should definitely re-evaluate it, right? And then that's part of the friendship that we all need to be conscious of because at the end of the day, I, I think about it this way. Okay, if I die tomorrow, how many of my friends, like are my closest friends going to be in my, in a funeral in the front row, right? Or is it just going to be a Facebook status of like, oh, he passed away. That was a good memory. I think that's that's I think that's another way to evaluate it, right? Um, and and that's important. That's important because your friendship can make you or break you. They're a huge part of our lives. So even when we talk about friendships, there's 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 this huge shift in what friendships are, and so you know we live in a time of incredible convenience and superficiality. <laughs> Convenience and superficiality. Everything is about my personal convenience. Mm. And everything is about your personal convenience. And everybody is seeking their personal convenience. And so, you know, you're so annoyed when somebody calls you on the phone. 
Like when somebody calls me, <laughs> like you're so bothered by, it. like who is this person interrupting my scrolling through TikTok? Like who is this person? Who do they think it is? Because we've been conditioned and it's not like even the people who grew up with before this technology and all of this, we've all transitioned to this, yeah. this idea of everything is to be done in my own, at my own convenience. And so, for example, you know, the example that I, I like to give a lot is even before the pandemic, you know, people aren't even inviting themselves to, to each other's houses anymore. You know, I'm sure you remember when you were growing up in Detroit in your parents' house, guests would be coming over. What did that mean? Guests are coming oh, yeah, over. Amazing. That meant that you had to be cleaning the house. That meant that you had to, like, it was a whole ordeal when guests are coming yeah. over and they're yeah. coming over all the time. Like people are, yeah. people are getting guests yeah. all the time. Now, even when we have friends, it's very rare that you actually go over to that person's house. It's, you know, you going and meeting at this halal restaurant and this 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 restaurant. And it's very convenient for everybody, right? It's convenient for everybody, but it's at the expense of what? Again, it's superficial. It's at the expense of depth. And so when I go to some random guy, let me just say Ahmed's house, right? I go to Ahmed's house. I meet and I go to his house and yeah, maybe he spent the, the day cleaning before I got there, but I meet Ahmed's mom, right? And now I know Ahmed's mom and I meet Ahmed's autistic brother. And now I know Ahmed has an autistic brother and I see the wow. car that's broken down outside of their house, right? And so I get a sense of Ahmed's, you know, what's, what's going on in yeah. Ahmed's world, what's the financial issues, all of that type of stuff. I don't get any of that depth from that person when me and him have a great conversation and take some selfies at, you know, such and such restaurant. Right. Wow. So th- this is the way that we're going about our lives now. Everything is about our convenience and at the expense of depth, which is at the expense of meaningful relationships. And so when a person turns around and they ask themselves that question, like you just mentioned, you know, forget even before death, if if I'm in an ICU or if I'm going through any hardship, like real hardship in my life, who are the people who are going to be around me? It's not going to be my 10,000 friends on Facebook. It's not going to be my 12,000 followers on Twitter. It's not going to be it's not going to be any of these individuals. Yeah. And that causes people incredible anxiety and it causes people incredible. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why people are going through the, the grief that they're going through now. Yeah. So no, that's really powerful. Actually, you know, I do want to honor your time and I want to wrap up with a few tips. And, and so I think that that's really powerful because that creates an authentic community and authentic relationship, not just with my friends. So like, if I have, like, if we have, like, again, if you're listening to this podcast, if you have a friend, do you know their parents? Have you visited them? Like, do you know their struggles, what they're going through? I think that that's an organic way of growth, even in the, like, like and I miss that. I really miss it because of, you know, of course, because of COVID, there's so much restriction. Even on me coming back home, I'm like, man, I want to come back. I want to go visit my friend's mom because that's what I know what community is versus like you live in a society, you're just nine to five, when you're Netflix, you know, movies and you meet, you're, that's a really, uh, that's a really great analysis, by the way, from you. So, okay. I have friends. Okay. Let's talk about practical tips of like really building, building on that. Uh, or see if you're seeking friends or if you have your friends, like, you know, talk to our viewers about like, what are some of the steps they can take and recognize, okay, let me evaluate my f- five friends that I'm closest to. How do I go about that? What are the steps you take? Is it a do I should make? Is it that sh- should I have a serious conversation because things are bothering me? Right? Like I would definitely have conversation with like certain friends, like, listen, these things bothers me because it's taking me away from God, because when we do this together, I don't know, what are some of the steps, you, uh, practical steps you can give? You know, there's a beautiful du'a we're actually taught to make. 
اللهم إني أسألك حبك وحب من يحبك وحب عمل يقربني إلى حبك Oh Allah, I ask you for your love and I ask you for the love of those who you love. Like there are some people who if you're if you're kind of like removed from the dean scene or what have you, you might look at religious people and actually think that they're corny. Right. They're just looking right, at repeat, repeat the statement again. I, I want I want that to be heard by the audience. Oh, Allah, go ahead. Oh, oh, Allah, I ask you for your love and the love of those you love and the love of actions that will garner me your love. Mm. Okay. So you're asking Allah to love the people whom Allah loves. So, oh Allah, if you love Fatima, then I ask you for me to love Fatima. If you love Ahmed, I ask you to love. I, I want my love on earth to be harmonious with your love in the heavens. I want to love those who you love, right? And, and, and that's going to change. That's going to require the changing of our values for a lot of us or some of us. And, but that's a dua that you make. Allah can change your heart. Allah can make you see the people of taqwa as being the most amazing people in the world. Allah can do that. And so you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that. Number two is to evaluate your friends. You evaluate your circle. You see who are the people who are uh, detrimental to your iman. And you ask yourself, is this person that I can you know, influence? Or is this person somebody who can influence me? And if I am certain that they are someone who I can influence, then great. Then let me influence them. And if they're somebody who I am doubtful, then I cut them off for now because I got to work on myself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya anfusakum. My first objective is to protect myself from the hellfire, not to mm -hmm. save everybody else. I only save myself after, you know, I put my own mask first and then I worry about the person next to me in the seat, even if it's my own child. Um, that's number two. Number three is to seek out people who are, uh, you know, impressive people who you are, uh, you know, you, you, you expect that they would be able to help you and reach out to them. You know, message them, call them, um, ask them for help, tell them what your goals are, you know, communicate with that with them, inshallah ta'ala, and you'll find them to be helpful, inshallah, or at least they'll direct you to places where you can, you can start. Excellent. Those are very wonderful advice. Um, so personal question, what is your favorite Sudani dish? My favorite Sudani dish? That's a great question. I should be asking you what's your favorite, like a uh, Bengali or like Desi dish, you know, just throw you off. I mean, Desi dish is easy. It's, uh, it's butter chicken. It's, it's a classic. I, I mean, go I was expecting more than Karen answer, bro. <laughs> That's a Amara answer, to be honest. Butter chicken, is, uh, butter chicken is, is great with the naan, the garlic naan. And then you have, of course, since you're in Detroit now, the Yemeni food, the best, of oh. course, Chinese. Yemeni food to me, I always tell people is the best Arab food, even better than Sudanese. You know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, uh, I'll, I, be I'll attest to that. Like yeah. I, that's my favorite. So, okay. So what is your favorite dish you and your friends go and have? Like, this is like your friend's dish, right? So for us, it's the Yemen cafe, right? That's, this is where, this is where it happens. Middle, Where's like the Yemen cafe? Night, is that Yemen cafe in Hamtramck. Hamtramck. Oh, I've yeah. never been to that. I, I think I went to Shiba. You're probably, so yeah, that's how I like, go, like when we say friends, let's go do this that's where we meet. And I think it, like, this is important, right? Even though we're talking about meeting in each other's house, you do have your favorite spot that you go to, right? That's, that's, that's been known. So, so when I go to Detroit, when I go to Detroit, I have three spots. Number one is Sheba. Number two is Brom Burger. And number three is Kahwa House. I gotta get there. I need, we need to get their sponsorship right now. Okay. And then recently I was in New York and of course in New York, it's Yemeni Cafe. That's the, that's the original. It's been there for 25 yeah. years or however long it's been. 
And Kahwa House just opened up a branch in Brooklyn too. So we went to yeah, Kahwa House out of respect. Yeah, so we went to that. <laughs> so Yemeni food is serious. Um, as far as friends goes, a spot that we have to go to. Uh, here in Houston, I don't know, man. I, I started eating sushi here in Houston. So Houston is, Houston is, which is weird. I know this isn't the place for sushi, <laughs> but uh, I'm definitely a big sushi guy. Yeah. Yeah. May Allah bless you. Thank you for yeah. all the amazing, wonderful advices about friendship and the righteous companionship. And may Allah bless you with those, those that you Amen. love, that Allah loves. And I know that we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us guidance and keep us in this hidayah, this beautiful gift that he has given us. Amen. And we ask Allah that all of us who are struggling with friends and companionship that make it easy on uh, individuals and folks who are listening to this podcast and you know, have a serious conversation. This is serious matter. This is very important. Um, um, you know, check on your, ch check up, check your list of friends. I think that's crucial. Uh, to me, I, I look at, you know, I look at mentors like um, mentors and friends. They're like your, uh, you know, they're like your angel. They're like angel Jibreel, right? For us, they, they can either make you or break you. They're, they can sometimes bring you the right message or they can either play like that, you know, Shatan's role, right? So I think we have to you be know, very careful. You know, Kibriya, let me tell you a quick story. Uh, Ibn Abbas, the famous scholar of Tafsir and all of that, when he was a young man, like you're talking about 12, 13, when the Prophet ﷺ passed away, Ibn Abbas looked at one of his friends from the Ansar and he told him and he said, let's go and learn from the senior companions while they're still alive. I mean, he's, he's smart enough to realize like I'm 13 right now, Abu Bakr is like 61 or like, let me learn from these companions now while they're still here. And he started doing that. But his friend was like, Ibn Abbas, do you really think anybody's going to care about what you know when the senior companions are there and all of that type of stuff? His friend didn't see his vision. So Ibn Abbas made this incredibly important decision that he summarized in a word. And he said, Fataraktu. He said, I left him. Stopped hanging out with wow. him, went on his path. And Ibn Abbas went on his path alone. And he did. And Ibn Abbas's story is famous, of course. He would stand outside of the doors of the companions. He would get beaten down by the sun. He's just waiting for one of them to come out so he can ask them a verse about the Quran or ask him about this or that. And he did that for years and years and years and years until he became Ibn Abbas. So Ibn Abbas said, later on, I was sitting in a gathering of mine and everybody's sitting and learning from him. And he said, that man from the Ansar walked by, his old friend. And he said, you know, he was smarter than me. He, he did what I didn't do. And so sometimes your friends are absolutely right. Sometimes they'll be the ones who are telling you, you can't do something. And at that point, you have to decide, are you, are you going to listen to them? Or are you going to follow your dream, your vision? But at the same time, your friends can do the exact opposite. So this is a story I love to share. You know, um, your friends can raise your ambition. The people who you are around, if you're around people who aren't doing anything, chances are you're not doing anything. So surround yourself with people who are doing amazing things and the rising tide lifts all ships. They'll raise your ambition. I had some friends who one time, a long, a long time ago, they said, let's memorize the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawi. Cool. Let's memorize the 40 hadith. And it's 40 hadith. They're not, some of them are longer. Some of them are shorter. Most of them are short. And yeah. they said, they said, let's memorize one hadith a week. And I remember saying to them, to my friends, we're not going to do it. And the reason why we're not going to do it is not because it's not possible. 
it's because the goal is so low that it's going to become so boring that we're not going to finish. Like how long does it take for your person to memorize it's like seven words. You can memorize it in 10 minutes if you sat down. Why would I need an entire week to do that? Eventually it becomes so boring, right? You've aimed so low yeah. that you end up not even. And then one time I'm meeting this kid who is 17 years old at the time. He was 17 at the time, long time ago also. And everybody's calling him Sheikh so-and-so, Sheikh so-and-so, Sheikh so-and-so, Sheikh so-and-so. I'm like, man, and I'm like, what, what, who is this guy? And he was so skinny, so frail, so small. Like he was just a, he was a 17 year old kid. And he didn't even have like a, a hair on his chin yet. Sheikh so-and-so, Sheikh so-and-so. Everybody's like, what? and so they told me, they said, you know, he memorized the Quran at this age at like 12 or something. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like a lot of kids have done that. And they also said, but he also memorized Bukhari and Muslim. And he did it in two months. And what? And I'm like, chef so-and-so, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like, oh, snap. Like, people can actually do that. Like, this is a person who actually sat down for 12 hours a day or however long he did for a summer, and he was able to accomplish this. So what do I think I can do? Now I can think I can memorize the 40 hadith in a day. Like, forget doing it over 40 weeks. Like, I can do this in a day. If he did that in two months, I can do that in a day, right? So you're the friends that you have literally can raise your ambition. They can raise yeah. your goals. They can raise everything about you. They literally alter your life and they alter your, your hereafter. So how many days did it take? I know people are curious. For him to memorize the Bukhari Muslim? No, for, uh, you, for you guys, your group, friends. Oh, they never did it. <laughs> I told you, they never did it. I memorized it. I don't remember how long it took. It didn't take long. I mean, probably like a couple of days to memorize it, but it was just like there was. You know, I always, I always, uh, I always joke around with some of the guys as I listen. You know, I can say I'll do billah and shaitan goes away. And sometimes some of my friends that you guys are still here influence me wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, some friends come in a, in, a, in a form of shaitan. Like, you have to recognize that. You have to really recognize it because even shaitan is probably impressed by your friends, right? So, let's do a couple of things. You know, give a shout out. If you're working on something, where can people follow you? You know, what's the, what's the one content that you're uh, really... I, I, lo I love your, uh, uh, the, the content that you're posting on, on TikTok about the names of Allah. That's amazing. So, do, tell the viewers about where they can find you or some of the projects you're working on. If there's anything they can look up to. So that was, part of a, that was part of a Ramadan project, which was, uh, you can find that on maghrib.org forward slash majesty. Majesty, that was um, the His Majesty course, which was on the names of Allah. And what we did was we did uh, daily multiple videos. Each one was one minute on different names of Allah. Yeah. We went over 89 in Ramadan. We still have 10 more that we have to do. But you can find that on TikTok at Amara Shukri or on Instagram at Amara Shukri. So you'll find those there. Um, other than that, uh, speaking of shaitan and all of that, we're launching a course on almaghrib.online also about shaitan uh, by Sheikh Sa'ad Taslim, another one of your, your Maryland folk. Um, yeah. And the idea behind this course is that it's everything about shaitan, everything that you need to know about shaitan as well as his tricks. And after Ramadan, shaitan is released and people, I think, don't really appreciate how Allah continuously says in the Quran, shaitan is an enemy to you. So take him as an enemy, like fight mm -hmm. back. 
He, mm. he wants to harm you. So take him as an enemy. And so after Ramadan, shaitan comes back and he comes back with a vengeance. And, you know, people probably have already seen in their lives and in the lives of their, their family and friends, the effects of shaitan coming back after Ramadan. And so this course, which you can find at al-maghrib.online, is called Deception, uh, the study of shaitan. That's awesome. Jazakallah khair, but Ammar, may Allah bless yep. you and, and protect you. And uh, let's wrap it up here, inshallah. Thank you for listening. This is Muhammad Kibriya with the Remasters Podcast, signing off until next time, inshallah. Again, everyone, salam alaikum. This week's episode is sponsored by Baytul Mal. Baytul Mal provides life-saving, life-sustaining, and life-enriching humanitarian aid to underserved populations around the world, regardless of faith or nationality.